Hi, I'm Pastor Floyd Hughes of Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. I just wanted to share about my new book, Act Like an E-Christian. The E stands for Evangelical. And despite what you may have heard, Evangelical Christianity has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the reason the body of Christ exists, sharing the gospel. My book, a devotional based on the book of Acts, prayerfully encourages Christ followers to return to our evangelical roots, sharing the gospel with folks in our circles of interest. It's available on Amazon and paperback and for Kindle, and you can pick up a copy today. Thanks and God bless. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, we're continuing to walk through <clears throat> the book of Exodus, um, looking at uh, God's revelation to not just the Israelites, but to us. And I wanted to take a moment and reiterate. I said I was going to do this throughout and share, again, information that shows this is not just a biblical story, not just um, uh, 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 a biblical account, but it's actual, an actual factual historical account. And I had shared this information before, and I want to share uh, some new information, but uh, also reiterate this. Uh, we said there's physical archaeological evidence that shows that this event happened. And we said the first evidence was that the Hebrew, there was evidence that the Hebrew people were living in Egypt prior to the time of the Exodus. Because you can't say, well, there was this large group of people that exited from Egypt if there's no evidence that they were ever there in the first place. And we said there is evidence that shows that they were there around 1446 BC. Uh, there's a document called the Brooklyn Papyrus, which is an Egyptian document that has the names of Hebrew people in it, um, showing that, yeah, they were in Egypt. Uh, we said there was pottery that was found in Egyptian homes, pottery that was specific to the Israelite people, which shows that, yeah, they lived there. And there was sheep, uh, a specific type of sheep that was only specific to the land of Canaan, but yet it was also found in Egypt, which means somebody had to bring it there. There's also a document, uh, it's called the Reckmeyer, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing this, art, and it's a piece of art that shows um, Egyptian, or excuse me, not Egyptian, Hebrew or somatic slaves building bricks with mud, which is kind of like straight out of the biblical account. Uh, some of the other evidence, uh, we said there were excavations of the city of Ramses, and then in, in those excavations, they found large storage silos, just as stated in the Bible. And back when we were there, we looked at Exodus chapter 1, where it said, so they, the Egyptians, put slave masters over them, the Israelites, to oppress them, to force labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. So... What the biblical account says, the archaeological information supports. Uh, one of the other things, and this was probably the most compelling, and again, no one can say, well, this is 100% proof, but this is evidence that history supports what the Bible says happened. Uh, there's a document called the Ipur Papyrus, and it's a document that was uh, filled out by an Egyptian official 
And in it, he makes these statements, the river is blood, which again, could allude to the Nile turning to blood. Uh, he makes a statement that plague and pestilence are throughout the land of Egypt. He makes a statement that children are dying, which could be to the, uh, the, the plague on the firstborn. He makes a statement that the power of Ra, which is the sun god, is not seen, which could be the plague of three days of darkness, which we're going to talk about today. And then he makes a statement, the slaves took the gold and silver, which we've reiterated how God said that he was going to allow the Egyptians uh, to give all this gold and silver to the Israelites and look favorably upon them. So again, all of this information, um, it, it just goes to show this is an actual event. Now, there's another piece of information that we didn't talk about. And it's the fact that the Bible supports the historical and archaeological date of 1446 BC. Previously, archaeologists said, hey, there's no information that supports the Exodus. If something this big happened, there would be like documentation of some sort to support it. But what they believed was it was 1200 BC. So they couldn't find anything around 1200 BC that supported it. But once they looked at, well, if the Bible says this was 1446 BC, maybe we'll find information there. And that's where they found, oh, we, we can date this pottery, we can date these sheep, all of this stuff supports it. And what the Bible says, and there's lots of verses, but one of the key verses that supports it is in 1 Kings chapter 6. In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. So the Bible talks about when Solomon became king. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a year. The Bible doesn't say XXX AD or BC or anything like that. The Bible just says, hey, this happened, and then this many years later, such and such happened. Archaeologists are the ones who looked and assigned times to these. So archaeologists looked and said, hey, yeah, the date that Solomon reigned, 970 B.C. Four years after that would be 966 B.C. So 480 years before that would be 1446 B.C. And if anyone's watching or one of you guys want to plot calculators and do the math, I did it twice, but sometimes I forget to carry the one, so just keep me honest. Uh, so the Bible supports and archaeological information supports, hey, this is an actual event. And the reason why I want us to understand that this is an actual event is because it's historically and biblically we're shown how far God will go to free people from bondage and to make himself known. And we're going to see where God goes to extreme great extents. And to be honest, last year, when I started planning out, hey, let's teach the book of Exodus, in my head, I was like, okay, we can spend one week on all the plagues, right? Even though by next week, we'll have spent five. Um, because I thought, oh, we'll just talk about here's the plague and here's what happened and we'll just move through that in one week. And then I thought, well, maybe it will take two weeks. Uh, and then over time, as we started this series, God really began to impress that we need to spend a couple of weeks because a lot of us are in the same places that Pharaoh was and that the Egyptians were and that there are a lot of people who still have hardened hearts. And we talked about the fact that it wasn't just Pharaoh who's hardened his heart. Later, uh, when we, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that later, once they get out of 
Egypt and they're in the desert that a lot of the Israelites hardened their heart against God. And a lot of the Israelites also were clinging to the false idols from Egypt. They were clinging to their past, just like a lot of us are still bitter, angry, and upset over stuff that happened in 2020, stuff that happened in 2021, snow from last week, right? A lot of people were clinging to the past, and some of us are just refusing to listen to God. And over and over and over and over, uh, God goes through and he shows, hey, here is the extent that I'm willing to go to in order to kind of unharden hearts, stop people from clinging to the idols and allow people to, hey, you need to listen to God. Now, um, we walked through a bunch of the plagues uh, really quick. First one was a plague of blood on the Nile. Uh, Second one was a plague of frogs. Third one was the plague of lice. Some say gnats is more likely lice. Fourth one was a plague of flies. Fifth one was the plague uh, on death of all the livestock. Sixth one was the plague of boils. And the seventh one was the plague of hail that God unleashed on Egypt. And in our minds, it's like, yeah, this was just a little things. But as you're going to see, this is like can devastate a nation. Now, the next plague, I'm going to talk about this today. Uh, is the plague of locusts, right? And each of these plagues, God was not only just trying to harden their hearts, but he was also judging the false gods. And there was a god named Serapis who was a deity of success. And Egypt looked upon themselves as one of the most successful, powerful nations on the world. And you'll even see when, when Moses goes, we'll talk about this in a minute, and tells Pharaoh, hey, God's going to bring this plague of locusts. Uh, all the Egyptian officials were like, hey, we're, we're going to be ruined. We cannot let this happen, even though Pharaoh decides to let it happen anyway. And then there's the plague of darkness. And Egypt had a god called Ra, who was the sun god. They had a god called Thoth, who was the moon god, who they believed was a representative of Ra, because as we know now, the moon just reflects the light from the sun. That's where we get moonlight at night. But they thought that was a representative of Ra. And then when God brings on three days of darkness, he shuts all of that down. So um, we're going to look at these quickly. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Exodus chapter 10. uh, And we're going to walk through a couple of verses looking at both of these plagues. And if you're like watching us from home, if you're watching the live stream, feel free to grab a Bible we tend to go into the Bible and look at a lot of verses, uh, just one, so we can see what God's word says, and two, so you can see I'm not making this stuff up. But in Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, this is what it says. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them. And we've been just reiterating, talking about the fact that this isn't God manipulating Pharaoh or forcing Pharaoh to do anything because in the previous chapter, chapter 9, verse 34, it says that Pharaoh and his officials hardened their own hearts. So this was God using their hardened hearts for his glory. Verse 2, so that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians, how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. Again, God making his name known. Verse 3, so Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh, and they said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. 
If you refuse, and throughout, again, this wasn't God being a moral monster. This was God laying down conditions. Let my people go, and none of this has to happen. He said, verse 4, if you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail. This is a reference to food including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses, those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your fathers nor your forefathers have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's officials said to him, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? And here's the thing. This is Pharaoh, again, greed, racism, hatred is why he wouldn't let them go. But any leader who puts the fate of his people behind his own selfish desires uh, doesn't deserve to lead. Whether it be a pastor, a government official, um, uh, uh, a CEO of an organization, if they put their greed and their needs above their people, then they don't deserve to be in that position. And as we're going to see economically uh, and in other areas, these plagues have taken a toll, but Pharaoh put his greed above the well-being of his people and his officials called him on it. And in verse 8, After they called him on it, in verse 8, then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said. But just who will be going? Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you if I let you go, along with your women and children. Clearly you have bent on evil. Because here's the thing, Pharaoh's perception of evil was different than God's perception of evil. God's perception of evil is, is, is the racist hatred and demeaning of another people group that Pharaoh was doing. Pharaoh's perception of evil was, hey, you're trying to get these people away, and I'm going to lose all my free labor. He said, no, have only the mango and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh was afraid of losing his free labor. Because here's the thing, once sin grips our heart, Even though it's not good for us, we fight to hold on to it at any cost. And in verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over Egypt so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. This was literally going to leave the entire nation without any food whatsoever. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt. The Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt, settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. And and in our minds, it's hard to imagine this, but if you can think of like the last couple of weeks where everywhere you look outside when it's snowing, And every tree has white on it. Everywhere on the ground has white on it. All the roads are covered with white. Imagine that's locusts. And not just in our area. Imagine it is all throughout, like, the state of Pennsylvania. In Ohio, no locusts. Other bordering states, no locusts. 
all over Pennsylvania, everywhere, just locusts. That's what it was like. And then Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray the Lord your God to take the deadly plague away from me. And this is important because even though we hang on to sin at any cost, God paid a great cost to forgive our sins. And when we receive that forgiveness, then the expectation is that we're going to forgive other people over and over again, no matter how many times they sin against us. Uh, Really quick, stay in Exodus. But in Luke chapter 7, Luke records that Jesus said, pay attention and always be on your guard looking out for one another. If your brother sins, he misses the mark. That's what the word sin means. Solemnly tell him so and reprove him. And if he repents and if he feels sorry for having sinned, forgive him. If someone, and when it says brother, it doesn't necessarily mean religion. It means uh, 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 someone who is familiar, someone who's in your circle of influence. And if they sin against you, they do something that, well, you know, it didn't meet the mark. It wasn't right. But then they apologize. Then we're supposed to forgive them. But then he goes on and says, and even if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, I'm sorry, you must forgive him. Give up the resentment. Consider it as recalled and annulled. And um, yeah, you guys know, I do TikTok videos. I did a TikTok video because there was a lady that asked, she said, what are your views on, and she asked about like homosexuality and abortion and sex before marriage and all this stuff. So I did a video responding to her question saying, it really, and I said, this is my opinion, but it really doesn't matter what my views are. What matters is, are you willing to submit to whatever God's views are? And I said, because your views may differ from God, but are you willing to submit to whatever he says? And I gave an example. I said, my views differ from God. There's some things that I don't agree with God on, but I submit to him because he's God and I'm not. And someone else said, well, what are some things that you disagree with God on? And I said, one of the biggest ones is forgiving people because I don't think I should have to forgive people that are mean to me or wrong me when I've done nothing wrong. Not only that, I don't think I should have to forgive them over and over again when they keep doing it. And I especially don't think I should have to forgive people who look at me and because of my race uh, make judgments about me or say mean things about me. I don't want to forgive those people, but I said I do. Not because I want to, but because God tells me to, because that's what he did for us. And even though we read over and over where Pharaoh says, hey, I sinned against you, God, your God, and I sinned against uh, you, Moses, forgive me. In that moment of genuine forgive me, I'm sorry, over and over and over, God forgave him. And that's what we're supposed to do to other people. So verse 18, Moses then left Pharaoh, prayed to the Lord, and the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which caught up the locusts, carried them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left anywhere in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let the Israelites go. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so the darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. And um, here's the reality. I think um, it says that darkness could be felt, and some theologians say that that was because there was a, a, a... like a black fog that God emitted over the nation of Egypt. But if you read, it says that even when, if they tried to light a candle, it wouldn't light. No light could be emitted. But in Goshen, in their homes, when they lit a candle, they were able to have light. And I don't think it's that a fog was emitted. I think that God... Because in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and earth, and then God said, let there be light. And a lot of people say that means God created the sun. He said, no, God created the thing, the physical process that allows light to be emitted. And so God removed the physical process that allowed light to be emitted. The sun was so shining, it just couldn't be seen in Egypt. But in Goshen... Light was still there. And as much as I would love to talk about how we're the light of the world and all that stuff, instead, uh, I want to focus on, on, on this because uh, most people think all of these plagues happened over, you know, every day there was a plague. That's not the case. Uh, the Nile turning to blood, that lasted for seven days. So it's likely a series of weeks, a few weeks to maybe even a couple of months, six to eight weeks, that all of this happened. And what people don't realize is that it was immense. First, there were seven days, one week of dehydration. The Nile, the main source of water for most of the nation, turned to blood. Then uh, there was sickness from frogs, lice, flies, all of these animals coming into your home, uh, uh, lice all over your body. And, and you know, for those of us who can remember when, you know, we had a, a student or a child or we were the ones... Lice broke out in the school. Everything shut down because they were trying to prevent a further outbreak. And then added to that, uh, when all the livestock died, it wasn't just their source of food, which caused hunger. It was also the way that they got back and forth to work. It was their trucks. It was their Ubers. It was their uh, vehicles that they used to haul uh, you know, materials to build buildings. All of that stopped. It was also the the animals, the horses that were used for the military, and all of that had to be replenished. So there was huge economic devastation and hunger when all the livestock died. And then when people were covered with boils, they weren't going to work. They were in pain. There's a verse that says that the magicians couldn't stand up in the presence of Moses because they were in so much pain. No one was going to work. So there was illness and work stoppage from that. And then add to that, The hail caused destruction and additional hunger. The hail, uh, uh, we read where it said anyone who was outside got killed by the hail. The hail killed animals. The hail destroyed vegetation. So more of their food sources disappeared. And just when you thought, oh, that's it, kind of like we were all thinking, how can 2020 get any worse? A plague of locusts came in and stripped Every piece of fruit, vegetation, and grain, anything left was gone. 
So now you have a nation that is already just getting over from, from dehydration, sickness, economic devastation, hunger, work stoppage, property destruction, loss of, of, of like food, and now they're starving. And it's not like they can go, all right, just send someone to Costco and stock up on more toilet paper or more food. There's nowhere else to turn. And then the darkness comes. And if, remember, I don't know if you remember, but we all on the news, probably not just in our nation, but all over the world, we're talking about the mental health of people just because we didn't experience all that. We just experienced a little bit of sickness. We experienced a loss of life. And we experienced some economic devastation. But what do you think dehydrated, sick, hungry, economically devastated, hurting, grieving people do when they are sitting in the dark. There are probably people who took their own lives. There are probably people whose mental health pushed them over the limit. There are probably people who stupidly tried to go out in the dark and to rob and to plunder, just like when the, you know, the lights go out uh, and there's a power outage and you see people trying to take advantage of it because they feel like, hey, I have a need and now I can meet that need and no one will see me. There was even more chaos and pain and misery than we can imagine. And again, this is the extent that God will go through to free people from bondage and to make his name known. God, and again, people say, well, God's a moral monster for doing all that. This was a response to a nation that killed babies and that racially and economically depressed and enslaved a whole other people group just because they didn't like them and for their own monetary purposes. And this is the extent that God will go through to free people from bondage and to make himself known. And here's the truth. It's not the last time that God did it, right? God will often use the most weird and outrageous circumstances in order to make people known. Now, um, a few years ago, we talked through the book of Jonah, and most people know the book of Jonah because of the whale, right? Um, but the reality is that that's not the heart of the book of Jonah. The heart of the book of Jonah is God telling Jonah, hey, go to this other people group that don't look like you, don't think like you, don't, they're politically different than you, and I want you to bring them a voice of hope and redemption, and Jonah says, no, I don't want to go. I just don't want to do that. Now, uh, uh, in the, in the um, be totally transparent, I just wrote another book that focuses on this because this story brings to light the fact that no one can be able to call themselves a Christ follower and still have racist views against any other people group. And the last thing that God tells Jonah, because Jonah reluctantly goes after, you know, get thrown in a whale for three days, you're probably going to say, okay, God, I'm going to go too. But after he acknowledges, hey, salvation belongs to you, meaning I don't get to say who gets saved and who doesn't. That's your call. You get to say who gets redeemed. Jonah reluctantly goes, and when he does, he's bitter about the fact that God was originally going to destroy an entire nation, 
Like he told Egypt, I could just snap my fingers, you could be gone, he's going to destroy this entire nation. Jonah goes in, uh, brings a message of hope and redemption, and the entire nation gets redeemed. And Jonah is mad about it. And the last thing that God says to Jonah is this. He says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left and animals? God was going to destroy men, women, children, animals, the whole thing gone, Sodom and Gomorrah style. But he sent Jonah to bring redemption. And instead of bringing this judgment on them, he brought judgment on Jonah for refusing to do what God told him to do. Now, also to be totally transparent, um, like I said, wrote a book about it. It's on Amazon. Feel free to buy it. If not, I have some extra copies I'll put in the back. But that's not the last time. Then there is um, uh, the book of Daniel, right? Uh, Mark Berkshire is walking us through the book of Daniel on Tuesday nights. And in Daniel, two different leaders, different people, of different nations um, who all kind of take over this nation, uh, God uses Daniel to help bring redemption to them. The first guy, Nebuchadnezzar, mean ruler, right? Oppressive to his people. God uses Daniel to help reveal visions to remind Nebuchadnezzar, hey, I put you here. This is, this is the reason why you're, 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 you're like the, the largest and most powerful nation on the planet. It's because I rose you up. And Nebuchadnezzar refused to listen until God finally turns him into a wild animal. Again, that's the length that God will go uh, to make his name known. And this is what happens in Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. Uh, he says, you will be driven away, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, from people. You'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox. Be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. This is God reaching to Nebuchadnezzar and saying, hey, I know you're in charge. You're in charge of the most powerful nation on the planet, but I put you there and I can remove you from there. And then it says this, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And the last thing, and this is, this is Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging this. He says, uh, or excuse me, first uh, Daniel tells him, therefore be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. Your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that when then your prosperity will continue. In other words, it's God saying, hey, it, it's the same deal that he gave to Pharaoh. Hey, renounce your sin, and we can move on. But if you don't, there's a consequence. And it says all of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Within 12 months, all of that happened. And then afterwards, he says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble because that's the extent that God is willing to go to to free people from bondage and to make his name known. And then the next more significant event we read is we're not God judging an individual or God speaking to a king. It's God judging all of humanity. And through the resurrection... 
Instead of issuing some judgment on a person, he puts it on his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the way that Paul summarizes that. He says, and now let me remind you, since it seems to have escaped you, and there's a lot of us that because of all the issues of the past, it's escaped us. We've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten why the church is here. He says, let me remind you of the gospel, the glad tidings of salvation, which I proclaim to you, which you welcomed and accepted, and upon which your faith rests. He says, I pass on to you what I also received, that Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, died for our sins in accordance with what the scriptures foretold, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day as the scriptures foretold. And also that he appeared to Cephas, that Peter, then to the 12. Later, he showed himself to more than 500. That same message, he says, hey, um, not just some biblical history, but an actual historical event. That Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again because that's how far God is willing to go to free people from bondage and to make his name known. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads. God, we know that there are probably many of us who have, like we said, we've, we've, we've hardened our hearts because of the issues of 2021 or maybe the past or maybe just something last month. God, we know that there are many of us who are probably clinging to the past. We're angry about things in the past or we're clinging to false idols and deities and those things that we have put up on a pedestal to worship in spite of you. And we know that there are many of us who just have refused to listen to you, to abide by your word. God, we acknowledge also the extent that you are willing to go to free people from bondage, and to make your name known. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Help us let go of the issues of the past. Break down the hardening of our hearts. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear and to listen and to obey you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you, and God bless.